Well, good morning, ladies. And we also welcome all of you listening in on the podcast. We're so glad you're able to join in and study with us in this way. We are in chapter 10 of Matthew. But before we dig into this chapter, let's just look back and um, see what has taken place so far. So as we studied studied chapters 1 to 4, we saw the fulfillment of God's word. Jesus presented as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the long-awaited Messiah. The Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7 was a sermon about the kingdom of God. It revealed the kingdom by the preaching of Jesus. Jesus' authority was established by his powerful teaching. Then in chapters 8 and 9, the King, the Messiah, was revealed by the power of Jesus. He performed miracle after miracle. And just like the Old Testament had predicted, Jesus proved that he is the King, the Messiah, the one that God promised. Jesus had been showing his authority to the people. His authority over nature, as he calmed the winds and the rain, his authority over spiritual beings as he cast out demons, his authority over the sick, crippled, and even death as he healed and brought people back to life. As Jesus was doing all this ministry work, as he was teaching and as he was performing all these powerful miracles, the disciples had been watching and learning. And this takes us to chapter 10. We'll see today that Jesus shares this authority of his. He gives it to the 12 disciples and for one purpose only, to reveal his kingdom. Bev ended last week in chapter nine with these verses, 35 to 38. So if we'll let, take a look at that right now. Let me read those. Chapter nine, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus was preaching and healing, but he couldn't help but notice the need of the people. He was concerned for them, for their poor condition. He was moved with compassion. We saw, that, we saw that trait, his compassion. We saw that often in the previous chapters, how Jesus had compassion for the sick, the outcast, the burdened. And there we saw in, in verse 36, it says right there, he had compassion for them. And so Jesus realized a great need for missions. He wants to help them to fix this burden of, him, of his. So he tells his disciples to pray. Pray for laborers, for workers to be sent. There's such a great need to reach the lost. And so now this brings us into chapter 10, known as the second of five discourses of Jesus, the second sermon or teaching of Jesus. And I've entitled this simply, Go. The sermon is about the mission, the sending out of the harvesters or workers, sending them out with compassion, to reach out to these sheep that are without a shepherd, to simply go. And as we look at chapter 10, we'll see Jesus speaking to the 12 disciples as he summons them and sends them out with his authority to heal disease and sickness and preach good news. 
But before he does that, he needs to prepare and equip them before he sends them out. So I've broken this chapter into five sections. Um, the first section is verses one to four, and that's going to be called the calling. And the second section, verses five to 15, is entitled instructions. I'll be repeating these as I go along. And section three will be verses 16 to 23, and that's called preparation for persecution. Verses 24 to 39, fear, conflict, and discipleship. So verses 24 to 39, fear, conflict, and discipleship. And then verses 40 to 42, the rewards. Let me just pray for us before we begin. Lord, as we look into this chapter this morning, there's so much in here. So much that you taught the disciples and so much that you want to teach us. So here we are, ready and eager to, ready and eager to hear and to learn. I pray that you please help me as I share what I've studied and what I've learned. And may you provide me with your peace and clarity as I speak this morning. May you help us all to listen not only with our ears, Lord, but to hear from you with open hearts. And may um, you transform us into your daughters that you would want us to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a time in our children's lives when they need to leave the safety of our home and step into the real world. It all really starts when they head out on their first day of kindergarten. It's a brand new world for them. New friends, new skills, new timelines, new sleeping habits. How wrong would it be for us not to prepare our little ones for life outside of home? You can't just tighten up their new running shoes, fasten up their knapsack on their back and drop them off at the classroom door, wave goodbye and say, good luck kiddo, figure it out. No, we're there for them all along. From the different stages of their life as they begin to crawl and walk and speak every step of the way, lovingly teaching and caring for them, explaining why you can't touch the top of the stove, why you need to eat your peas and carrots, and why the frogs you collected can't sleep with you in your bed. And as they grow, we teach them about what it means to share, what it means to listen, how not to talk to strangers. We sit down and have long talks about what bullying can look like, about their friends who may want to drag them into doing things they don't want to do or shouldn't do, about friends betraying them, about friends unfriending them. We instruct them because we love them and care for them, preparing them for all that's set out before them, not only the good, but the hard, difficult times as well. Jesus too loved and cared for his disciples. And as we already saw, he had much compassion for the lost. He told the disciples to pray earnestly for workers. These are the same disciples that in Matthew 4, 19 and 20, immediately leave their nets and willingly follow Jesus. They embraced Jesus and his message and without hesitating, they went. They not only followed, but they've been listening and learning from him. And now they're told to pray, pray for workers. Little did they know that their prayers would be answered so quickly. They are the workers. They are the answer to their own prayers. 
Jesus calls them. He chooses them. He knew the disciples had a deep desire and willingness to follow and learn, and now it's time for them to go out. Let's look at verses 1 to 4, section 1, the calling. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus chose these workers among these ordinary disciples, empowering them for the work by giving them power, power to go out with his authority. The disciples are now known as the apostles, ones who have been sent, ambassadors, disciples who were first taught and now as apostles that are being sent. All of these men had different backgrounds. None of them were great. None of them were marvelous. None of them were highly educated, non-prominent, nor wealthy. They were common, ordinary people, fishermen, a tax collector. God uses a variety of people to do his work, like you and like me. You don't have to be great to reach the lost. God chooses and calls plain, ordinary people like us, stay-at-home moms, seniors, store clerks, nurses, teachers, and yes, Elizabeth, even telemarketers. We can all see needs around us. A neighbor who lost her job, a friend who lost a loved one, a coworker who is going through hard times, depression, anxiety, children who are being bullied. Our heart aches and we have compassion. We pray and God calls and uses us for his purpose. God seeks and uses all of us for his glory. We aren't just called to receive and believe. We are called also to do the work and to share the gospel, to serve, to speak of the hope in Jesus. And later in Matthew 28, we're always going back to Matthew 28, we will see with this same authority that Jesus calls us to go on mission for him. And Jesus, in, in verse 18 to 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus equips the apostles with his authority, not with their own authority, not with their own power or skills, but with his. He equips them to do his work and they accept it. They'll be doing all the same things that they saw Jesus do. All the miracles that Jesus performed, casting out demons, healing the sick, they will be doing the same. But is he going to tighten up their sandals, fasten their belts, and send them off in the wilderness, wave goodbye and say, good luck, men, figure it out? No, he's there for them all along, every step of the way, lovingly teaching and caring for them, giving them instructions for when they go, on how to do the work that is set out for them. Which brings us now to section two, instructions, verses five to 15. But first, let's just look at verses five to seven first. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, 
but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples is to go only to Israel. They were to fo focus exclusively on Israel. Their area of ministry was restricted to the Jewish communities in the Galilee region. They were to announce to the Jews and tell them all about the Messiah, that he has come, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that Jesus has come to fulfill what the prophets had predicted. The apostles would perform miracles, giving them this proof. In Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So God's plan was for the gospel to go out to the Jews first, and later the gospel would go out to both the Jews and the Gentiles. We see in, in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the gospel will go out to the end of the earth, but for now, the disciples were to focus only on the Jews. Our mission is to that of the whole world. Mark 16, 15 says, and he, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So here are the disciples instructed to go and proclaim to the Jews, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the same message we read about many times in the previous chapters. Chapter three, verse two, John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness to repent that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Chapter four, verse 17, Jesus preaching repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Chapter 5, Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount speaking of this. Chapter 7, Jesus closed the Sermon on the Mount with this. And chapter 8, Jesus speaks again about the kingdom of heaven. And now the disciples are instructed to go out with this same message, proclaiming this message of hope in a world that really has no hope. <clears throat> to sheep without shepherds, those wandering aimlessly in danger, no one to lead, guide, or feed them. And this is the same message of hope that we can share today. The same gospel, a message of hope in a dark, corrupt world, a message to those wandering aimlessly in danger, no one to lead, guide, or feed them. Jesus can deliver us from this darkness, from the hurting, from the suffering, from the dangers in life. If you realize that you are a sinner and place your faith in Jesus Christ as God's son, who died in your place and rose from the dead to give you eternal life, then he will forgive you of your sins and help you to live for him. Jesus made a way, bringing deliverance and forgiveness and life everlasting with him. Jesus then continues with his instructions to his disciples. Let's look at verses 8 to 15. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Go, Jesus says to his disciples, go heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out the demons, do these miracles, these wonders. Let the truth of the gospel message be seen as you minister to both their physical and spiritual needs. But he tells them that when they go, they're to travel light. Don't take any money, any fees, don't accept any profit for your ministry. You've received freely from God, give freely. Don't pack extra money, extra food, shoes, or clothes. Basically, there's no time for that. No time to get your bags packed. Go. You have a job to do. So go and go and do it now. Dependence on others. They were to rely on the hospitality of those who are worthy, meaning those who would receive them, those people who would welcome them, and those people who would take care of their needs. Faith. Dependence on God. God would provide for their needs. This isn't telling us today that we need to leave our wallets and change of clothes at home when heading out on the mission field and show up empty-handed. But what it does tell us is that we shouldn't depend on our possessions, our skills, but instead on God where authority and provision come from. How encouraging for the disciples to know that there would be people receptive of the gospel, ready to welcome them and their message. But then there might be some that will reject them and reject their message. They don't want to listen to them and they won't welcome them. As it says in verse 14, they are to then shake off the dust from their feet when they leave that house or town. When a Jewish person visited Gentile country, they would shake the dust off their feet when returning to their land. It was a sign that they didn't want to be associated with the Gentiles at all. It was a pronouncement of judgment. Is this not also familiar with us today? Not actually the shaking off of the dust part, but when we might have the opportunity to have a coffee with a neighbor or a phone call with a friend, and they're receptive to our heart and the gospel message that we're sharing with them, we come to them with an attitude of peace. But there will be others who won't receive us well. They won't listen. They'll hang up the phone. You've done what you can, you try and try again, but all you can do in the end is walk away. So now this takes us to section three, verses 16 to 23, preparation for persecution. <clears throat> Let me read that. <clears throat> Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and, and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel 
before the Son of Man comes. Wow, I wonder if they were expecting this. A warning that they're going to be beaten and dragged and even killed. Families torn apart and divided. It's like Jesus is saying, get out of that one town, run, go to the next town. But warning, it, it, it's going to happen in the next town too. And, you know, just a few verses before, there was Jesus telling them that people would be hospitable, welcoming them in their homes, feeding them, caring for them. And now this, hostility, persecution, fighting, and conflict. They're going to end up like defenseless sheep in the midst of wolves, wolves with long, sharp fangs ready to attack, chasing, mauling, and killing. Not a pretty sight. There will be those who will be hostile to believers, those who oppose the gospel and attack believers for their faith. The disciples are told to be wise as serpents, an animal that is crafty and shrewd, yet to be as innocent as doves, demonstrating harmless, pure, and blameless motives, being peaceable. And notice in verse 19, Jesus tells them, while all this persecution is going on, by the way, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious what you speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Anointing of the Holy Spirit, not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaking through you. A couple of weeks ago, I needed to talk to a friend about some things that she was dealing with and troubled with. I prayed before picking up the phone and dialing her number, and I knew we, what we needed to talk about, but I had no idea how the conversation was going to go. I had no idea if I was going to be eaten alive by a wolf or if there would be a lost sheep waiting to be found, picked up and steered in the right direction. Would she be open and receptive to me and my call or would she hang up and never want to talk to me again? I came away from that conversation thankful to the Lord and amazed at what had just happened. I wondered if I should have said other things, but I was so thankful that the Holy Spirit gave me something to say. He comforted me with his peace and hope. I wasn't anxious and I wasn't eaten alive. He was faithful to his promises. He provided me the words to say, words that I didn't even know I had. Go, disciples, go, but be on guard against hatred and opposition. Governments and kings will notice you. They'll arrest you and bring you to trial. Family members will turn against you because of the gospel. Families will be divided. There will be widespread hatred and persecution of believers. But disciples, be wise, be discerning. They will persecute you. Escape, run, get out, go to the next town. Basically, don't attract trouble unnecessarily and avoid it without compromising your life. Jesus wanted to assure them to have confidence and trust in God to guide them and to provide them strength and the words to say. Louis Palot, a missionary evangelist, once said this, quote, when you face weariness, carelessness, and confusion, don't pray for an easier life. Pray instead to be a stronger man or woman, end quote. On to section four, verses 24 to 39, fear, conflict, and discipleship. It gets better. Let me read verses 24. Um, we'll, start, um, we'll stop at verse 33, 24 to 33 for now. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. 
If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are, num are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We can basically sum up this section with three little sentences. Be bold, be strong, be courageous. Jesus tells the disciples that they will be called names, they will face persecution, their life will be threatened. Yet three times he tells them to fear not. Verse 26, have no fear. Verse 28, do not fear. Verse 31, fear not. The Jewish leaders called Jesus Beelzebul, or in other words, Satan. How much more will they call the disciples' names? They will be slandered as well. It will be hurtful and painful, but fear not. Be bold. Proclaim the gospel message on the housetops openly for everyone to hear. They will want to kill you, but despite dangers of persecution, fear not. Fear not man or Satan, but fear God. Jesus encourages and comforts them in knowing that God knows everything about you, even the insignificant details like the numbers of hairs on your head. And he cares and values you more than the sparrows. If he takes care and provides for the lowly little birds, how much more will he care and value you? The disciples are told not to fear man. They can't kill your soul. But be faithful, be strong in the Lord. Verse 32 and 33, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Acknowledging Jesus before the whole world, meaning declaring that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Are we bold enough to say that? Or are we ashamed? Are we prepared to stand on the housetops, in the schoolyard, on our neighbor's porch, and proclaim to our friends, family, and co-workers that Jesus is our Savior and that Jesus gave his life for us on the cross? to forgive our sins, rising from the dead and giving us new life and life eternal? Are we bold enough to acknowledge him, declaring our faith and sharing it with everyone? Or are we ashamed? Do we shy away from these conversations? Do we deny Jesus? Do we deny our faith? Do we deny that we even attend church and that we have a personal savior? If we deny or reject Jesus, he will deny or reject us. We read earlier in, in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel. 
Romans 10, 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This means not only believing in Jesus, but also publicly acknowledging it, speaking out openly, publicly declaring your faith in Christ. Acknowledge him and he will acknowledge you. Deny him and he will deny you. Let's end section four by reading verses 34 to 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, I'm not too sure about you ladies, but I had to reread verse 34 over a few times. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? Jesus has not come to bring peace to the earth. But the prophet Isaiah said that the coming Messiah would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Yet Jesus says he brings a sword. A sword cuts. It cuts in two. It causes division. Families will be divided, but how can that be? God created, orchestrated, and invented families, and now it speaks of families being torn apart. Division among people and among family is not God's plan. It's just what happens. It's the effect of believing and following Jesus. You see, it's the division of those who choose Christ and those who reject him. The gospel unifies. Think about brothers and sisters in Christ sharing in his love and the bond that forms. But the gospel also divides. Differences, tension, even amongst families, fathers, mothers, children. Not all family members will share the excitement that you have and want them to have when it comes to the gospel. This will make it hard. It will cause stress and even ruin family relationships. When you declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this will affect your relationship with other people, be it your neighbors, your parents, your children. And this confusion about peace, ultimately, yes, Jesus will bring peace. One day, Jesus will return and establish an everlasting kingdom where he will rule with peace. And when you receive Christ, he provides you an inward peace. He promises that. Your love and devotion for Christ becomes a priority, and Christ becomes evident to all in your family. So are we supposed to love our family? Yes. Are we supposed to love Jesus? Yes. As much as important our family is, our love for Christ must exceed the love for those in our own family. Devotion to Jesus must come above our own household. Divisions will come between those who follow God and those who don't. When among strangers, neighbors, those in high positions, whether among strangers, neighbors, those in high positions, and even those in our own families. 
And one pastor put it this way, quote, Jesus is the dividing line in heaven. Those who follow Jesus here will be there. Those who don't, won't. Your eternal destiny in heaven depends completely on your relationship with Jesus while you are here on earth. Jesus is also the dividing line on earth. Jesus tells us he did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword that divides. And he warns us that he will even become a dividing line among families. Jesus is the dividing line in heaven and on earth. Being neutral towards Jesus is not an option. You are either for him or against him. You might be able to sit on a fence, but you cannot sit on a sword. You are going to have to choose one side or the other. End of quote. Verse 38, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Taking up your cross. In Rome, this meant torture and execution, a cruel and painful way to die. Prisoners had to carry their own cross to the place of their execution. Taking up your cross, what does that mean for us? It's putting Jesus before yourself, loving Jesus more than yourself, following him and living a life of obedience out of love for Christ. Are you willing to take up your cross? Are you willing to put Jesus before yourself? Are you willing to die to your own desires and comforts and choose Christ's way? As Jesus has been instructing in disciples, the disciples, notice that the Christian life is made up of choices. There's a choice for, in verse 33, whoever denies me. There's a choice for, in verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me. There's a choice for, in verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me. And now in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You have a choice. You can find your life, meaning you can love it more than anything. You want the best and desire the best, the biggest house, the newest SUV, the most modern, trendy HGTV kitchen. You reach for the highest personal goals. Your eyes are fixed on success and achievements, the top high-paying positions at your workplace. They're all temporal. Don't get me wrong, having these things are not wrong in itself. But if you choose this way of living, you have put these things before God and you will lose out on eternal life with God but you do have another choice. You can lose your life, meaning you can give your life to Jesus and let him lead and guide your life. You can give and serve all for Christ's sake by putting him first in your life above all else, setting our minds on things above and not on things of this earth. If you choose to lose your life, you will find it a life that is infinitely rewarding, and this is eternal. Now this brings us to the final section, the rewards, verses 40 to 42. Let me read these verses. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. 
And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So how encouraging to know that not everyone will reject you. There will be those who receive you, who will welcome you, who will welcome your message, who will provide you hospitality, who will support you, who will even do small gestures like providing you kind, menial necessities like a cup of water. But what's more encouraging to know is that whatever you do for one of Jesus's followers, you are doing for Jesus and you will be rewarded. The Father will reward you for your faithful endurance. Whatever, is good, whatever good is done for one of Jesus's disciples is as if it was good done, good was done for Jesus. As we think about those that have been called to go on the mission field, do we receive them as we should? That could be missionaries, pastors, interns, you, me, basically receiving anyone who is on a mission to make disciples among the nations. Do we welcome them? Do we support and pray for them? Open our homes to them? Those who are sent by him, his ambassadors, his representatives, the good done to them is as if good is done to Jesus. Christ was moved with compassion for the lost, praying earnestly to send workers to share the hope of salvation. Look around, look around the world, look around Georgetown, we can all see broken hearts, sadness, heavy burdens, hopelessness, all because the result of sin. People need Jesus. They need a savior who by grace can change them and provide peace and hope, a new life. They need a savior who by grace can transform their lives, give them new desires and new affections to be holy. May we look at them through Christ's compassionate eyes with Christ on our hearts. May we begin by praying earnestly for them, for the gospel message to be reached to them by other Christians or better yet by us. Pray and then go. May we be willing to go openly and publicly declaring and defending our faith, being bold, strong and courageous as we speak up for Jesus. As Jesus says in John 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. May we go and share this truth, knowing that there is a cost, knowing that conflicts will be there, knowing that we can expect hostility, opposition and division. We will have a hard go at life. Not everyone will like you. Not everyone will like what you have to say. You will be disliked, you will suffer, be disowned, persecuted, maybe not killed, but persecuted in one way or another. But fear not. Let go of your own ambitions, plans, and comforts and rely on the Lord. God is with you and will take care of you and reward you. And by the work that we do and the trials we face, God will be glorified and his power will be demonstrated and made known to all nations and may his name be praised. Let's pray, ladies. Lord, we thank you for guiding us this morning as we walked through this lesson together. We pray that you help us to be the women, your daughters that are filled with compassion, 
to share your unfailing compassion to all people. May we not fear anything that comes our way, knowing that you are our Father who cares and loves us. Increase our boldness, Lord, to declare the gospel to everyone you put in our path. So be with us all as we head out into this world, into our neighborhoods, into our mission fields. May you go before us and may your name be known and glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, just something about next week. Just want to let you know that next week, Karen is going to be taking us through chapter 11, where Jesus, after he finishes giving all these instructions and warnings that I spoke about today to the 12 disciples, he goes out to teach and preach through Galilee. And his mission begins to grow, but he also will now begin to experience opposition. So it'd be great if you can look over chapter 11 before Karen brings that to us next week.